Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for the upcoming second episode, straight out of Las Vegas, Nevada, he is just, oh my gosh, this guy is amazing. He is an alum of SUNY Purchase College with a degree in economics and a contestant in his 2019 Shark Tank, as well as the president of his economics club. He is the founder of CutNet, a master as craft, and someone I think we can all just learn from. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Ivan Huggin. How you doing, Ivan? Doing great. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. Now I get to talk to you, Ivan. So, oh man, I got a lot of questions, but let's just start with some of the basics, Ivan. For the people who don't know, you know, excluding my intro, in your own words, who and what exactly are you? Well, I am a young kid in life who is does not is not afraid to keep learning and try to change the world in ways that they can contribute to the world instead of just lazing, laying around playing video games or sitting watching Netflix all day and not actually changing the world for the better. I'm one of those young students who graduated or as you said, economics and during my school school term, I was able to manifest a business idea during my college years right before COVID. And me, especially, I'm a hard worker. I can't stop working. You know, I hate sitting in one place and not, not be able to contribute to society in ways that can change the world. So uh, I've seen people like Elon Musk. I see people like even Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, all those influential people who contribute to society with their ideas. And I'm just sitting here and just wondering, you know, I want to be up there. I want to be able to contribute. You know, I'm persistent. I'm pretty much imaginative. I love to create fresh new ideas. And I feel like there's a lot of things out in the world that needs to be changed and for the better for humanity. And um, what started off is with, well, my business, which is Cutman, which is a, well, hair booking service, but it's also a mobile hair booking service. And the next generation of its kind, where clients will have to worry about finding the right hair professional for them, no matter where they are or when they want the hair professional they need. So that's how I started with CutNet. Wow, that is a amazing story, bro. Yep. That is an amazing story. So I'm actually curious about a little bit more about CutNet. You've explained that, you know, the why who you are and what you found it. But let's take it back a little bit further, Ivan. Why did you feel like you had to be the one to create CutNet? What made you believe fully in your heart that this was your mission? You ever just get that feeling where something's not sitting right with you when something is like awry with, well, society. 
there's always something wrong with society. Something is always up. Something is something wrong with either comes to class or either skin color or even how people can make money on the side. It's there's always something that upsets you, but there hasn't been something that upset me the most until I first came up with Continent. And how it really started primarily was when I was in purchase um, a year before the pandemic. During the spring, beginning of January, I got a haircut from a friend in my college who was able to come to my dorm to cut my hair. And well, he's done it many times, but it was just, we had these conversations, these most influential deep conversations about life and stuff. And then it just hit me. You know, we have Uber, we have Amazon, we got even maids, we got traveling nurses, we, we have Airbnb, we have Uber Eats, DoorDash, even... We have all, so, so we, we have all these companies that are just built for our convenience. Yeah, and hell, Alexa. But the thing is, is like, there hasn't been a business that is mainstream like the rest that deals with hair. And while I was getting my haircut, I realized, wait a minute, how is it not mainstream? I know a lot of famous people who are out there have those private, very up of the hill stylists who go to their house, go to wherever they need to get their hair done before a show, events, anything. So I thought, why can't the common person, common man and woman have that ability? You know, I thought, I thought maybe, why not? You know, I could try my hand. So first I did my research to see if it was a big thing or was upcoming. And it wasn't. There's, yeah, the hair booking services, the normal ones where you see like hair professionals near you, but they're always focused on the barbers, not much for women either, or not precise on what a customer is looking for. and And it's not very precise on what hair professionals offer. And it's all over the place. And plus, people still go on the web wherever they go and see what's the nearest hair shop, barber shop, or hair salon. So right, th- so right there, you saw a, a golden opportunity. Yep. And at that point, I thought, you know what? Why not? I'll give it a try. Wow. That's why I thought. That was my mindset. I was like, you know what? Why not? I'll give it a try. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Hey, you know what? You were daring. You chose to like go into that venture because this is like going to be a whole new step for like hair care convenience for everybody. So yeah. this must be big. So Ivan, in your venture into entrepreneurship, you've no doubt seen a lot of highs and lows, but uh, what, what lows are you most thankful for? What are the moments where you were just like down and you're just looking back and you're like, thank God I hit that mark right, so I could be where I am now? And I say it was when I was in my first Shark Tank event. It was my first low because I lost, but I was finalist. But at the same time, I knew I wasn't going to win because I didn't feel really prepared. And I didn't, I was just by myself. I was alone. And all the judges were judging me, like, giving me good feedback. But at the same time, some thought, oh, I personally go to a hair salon. You know, there's always those people like that. So after the event, there was a lady from the, the, the judges pulled me aside. 
and said to me that give me comics about my presentation. I was a little nervous because it was like my actual business. I was very pitching to like actual investors, not teachers who were wanting to invest. No, these are actual investors from New York City. So that had a little pressure on my mind, but the one judge out of the five came over, put me aside, said to me, I don't believe your business will stop at national. I believe it will be stop at international. It will be big around the world. And I didn't. That is powerful. I didn't win money, but that gave me a boost. That is powerful. At the time, my advisor said that whoever are the finalists for the event will go apply for the regional hosted by Marist College which was the New York Business Competition, which I applied and became finals for my region, which is the Hudson Valley regions. And again, did a win. But it was another teaching moment because um, when you listen to the judges this time around, they were saying how like, oh, I don't know how I feel about people going to my house, getting my hair done, you know, if they're like convicted, felons who were felons before or if they were just out to steal my stuff or there's a lot of fear factor to it which people don't realize like we allow a lot of things in our society now which are normalized and we just don't realize that we can risk our safety for example uber you go around people's personal vehicles and we always hear stories about certain stories about uber drivers like fake Uber drivers literally stealing people, killing them, or try to rob them. But still, Uber's still going. Yeah, it actually reminds me yeah. of the it actually reminds me of the whole save say my name campaign of parents of a daughter who got killed by a fake Uber driver came to um came to the school and uh, to uh, my school purchase college and they like were explaining their meaning their purpose behind it after their daughter's daughter's death so and like you said yeah uber keeps going strong despite campaigns like that because they're really teaching more like safety and everything else rather than just abolish uber exactly and there's traveling nurses who even go to family homes who have like their grandparents or families who own like their own little, say, indoor, indoor um, old folks' home because there are parent, people, parents who do that, who allow old people to come to their house to live there. But with that, there are nurses who do go, who do go in there and they take care of the old people while the parents, the family members are out somewhere. You know, well, <laughs> the woman, go, well, the nurse goes and steals their stuff. I see it firsthand and no donors stole anything, thank God, but still, like, that level of trust is there in some ways, but at the same time, people don't understand that we are not only putting ourselves out there for convenience. So for my business, I thought to myself, my business is not different. You know, there are other businesses who have some level of convenience and I thought my business would be different. And, but again, there's a lot of old judges 
at the time. <laughs> didn't believe it. And this is like the right in the beginning of the pandemic. As soon as the pandemic hit, everybody was inside. I saw articles complaining, people complaining about, oh, I can't get a haircut. I have to grow my hair, I have to cut my hair. Maybe. A lot of shops, barbershops and salons were closed down permanently. And it was, it was a lot. They couldn't get money. money. So a lot of people thought maybe, just maybe, they thought, okay, what if, and I did research on this, what if I just ignore the, law, you know, the rules and just go cut people, cut my own client's hair? And I met hair professionals who did that. I went to clients, their clients' homes and cut their hair. And, you know, and, and I have friends back home who I grew up with, they were telling me, oh man, if you had this in the pandemic right now, they make a lot of money. Well, yeah, but this process to all this, I'm starting a business. So, regardless, even right now, it's still needed. Mm. So, I'm not too worried about it. Yes. And the third, and but after the loss of the competition, I did get some network experience. I did get some network with another lady who was director of entrepreneurship and innovation in Westchester County, who at the time, well, at near purchase, it was community because. Was, she was from that area, so she was like, "Hey, I can connect you to these people, that people." It was a lot. It was great connections, a lot of networking connections there. I was able to network and speak to various people of how to go about starting said business. And then, over the course of the year of 2020, she she hits me up again, and then asks me, "Hey, would you like to be part of a startup accelerator?" And I couldn't resist, so I took it upon myself to accept the offer of being part of a startup accelerator through Zoom. And over the start of December of 2020, all the way to July of last year, I went through the whole the whole gauntlet of the startup accelerator to accelerate my business and get all the help I can get and be able to get coached and be able to go step-by-step step on how to be able to run and process the business. So that's what happened. And I was able to also graduate college and graduate when I started accelerator and get a grant. And right now furthering even into beginning of 2022, there was another grant that was applied when I first moved to Vegas. And this grant was an office space grant for six months, which I'm in right now. And this office space grant was able to well, be able to not only be just an office space, but also be in some of the incubators myself. So I'm still getting all the help I can get. So I'd be able to scale my business further and be able to get off the market. I, so, I love it. Yeah. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. This is amazing. So listen, Ivan, while you were building your business and while you were in the incubator program, uh, I got to know, there's we both know that there's myths when it comes to business and being a founder and a CEO, but what is a myth in business that you believed for the longest time? Oh, well, the myth is usually, Oh, I'm going to make so much money as soon as I started. It's not how it works. Your reality. That's a, that's a slap in the face by reality right there. I'll give you, I'll give you another reality. What happened? When the pandemic happened, everybody was getting their COVID checks, their unemployment checks. Everybody was spending it on, well, expensive things, useless things. Me, I was pouring that into my business. 
this I was pointing all into my business for legal or business related stuff, marketing, being off the ground and stuff like that. But at the same time, I was able to even last year I was able to get my first client ever, and it was great. My first or my first dollar, but at the same time, after that I didn't get a client again. I still haven't gotten a client right now. But there have been people, some people who will call and be like, hey, I want to try it. I don't do it. Or I meet people in networking events who would say, oh, I'll definitely try it. Oh, let me try it. So it hasn't. I always check the, the, the website that I have that people can book to see if the people usually book and no one's booked. So it puts my, it puts constraint on me and it puts, puts constraint on my hair professionals who are registered on the service and make them realize, oh, is this service even active? Like, is it even active? Well, it's hard because A, your target audience is important, so be specific. Number two is that make sure that marketing is the biggest crucial thing you need to let everybody know that you are there, you even exist. Number three is that Make sure that, yeah, you can start off by yourself. I started by myself. I'm still by myself. However, I'm, I am in the process of trying to get a team going. So make sure you have a dedicated team who is like, you know what? I don't care about the money. I just want to see this through. Because not many people out there would like just not help you grow your business and then say, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I don't want the money. I just want to make sure this business grows. There's not many people like that. And and, and there's another myth. Oh, it's fine to start your business with friends. No. Friends. Whole family. Friends. Friends and family. They only, not all of them are going to be there to the end. Like some of them, others don't like, think it's fun. You do, you do one friend, like Steve Jobs literally relatively had one friend, which was Steve Wozniak. Like that was, that's okay. Everyone else was just like a student from school. But besides that, you know, he's got to start with that one friend. Even, even, um, even Mark Zuckerberg, he had his one friend in college who was like, you know, I'll be the CFO, you know, finance the Facebook so that you can build Facebook from the ground up and get it moving. But there's always going to be conflicts. No matter who friends you have, there's always going to be conflicts. Steve Jobs had a conflict with his, with his best friend so many times because Steve Jobs never want to admit that there are other people who contributed to creating the phones, the computers, and always always have that ego mindset that it's all me, but you have people to help you to create the business. Same thing with Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg had his friend, but at the same time, you know, he, he tend to lose himself. Forget like, hey, my friend puts his, puts his own money down for my business, for my for our business, actually, be part of it. But I treat like shit. I ignore his calls. I blatantly do all these things and don't put them onto business meetings or all that sort of thing. Like, and it jeopardized his relationship with his friend, and he gave his friend less percentage of the company until they corrected it later on. But you know, it's it's there's always a problem with having friends like. Hell is even one friend I have that wants to be part of it. It's just for marketing purposes, but you know, there's always be expectation of money 
And as honest I am, my business hasn't generated that much money because it's been difficult to try to get it out there. So sometimes you gotta do things grassroots yourself. Sometimes you gotta let people know, hey, like I can get you hair professional right now. Let's do it right now. Like there's yeah, there's always and it comes to business in general, depending on what it is, you always gotta find that flavor to attract people. That's number one. Number two, get a team that is not your friends, people you don't even know. Make sure that they're okay with either you don't get paid for now, but they'll receive percentage of the company, or they don't join at all. You can just do it yourself. But and the third and the fourth thing is that make sure your business plan is organized. You know, you can't just jump into business and just not have a plan. Have a plan. My business plan. I, you know, how many pages my business plan is? How many? Forty-five. Forty-five. Business plans are are around that range. Is a lot because when you go to investors, they go and read those pages, and they're going to say like, "What's your five-year plan? How are you going to make sales? How are you do the marketing strategy? What's the purpose of the business? What can they do? What can they provide?" There's a lot of nuances and everything. Who are you? You know, is it, who's your team? You know, what's your legal structure? What is your structure of the business? There's a lot of things that goes into this. And they say, oh, I can get this with an MBA. I can build my business with an MBA. No, you don't need an MBA to start a business. I'm, I've heard people say, oh, you, you need an MBA to start a business. No, no, you don't. Oh, oh, for a business like myself that has hair professionals going to you, People will say, oh, you need to be a hair professional yourself to start a business like this. No, I'm the cl- I'm the plug. I connect you to hair professionals. Just like how Tinder connects a man together in a unique way, or how Uber is a platform where they the booking a taxi where you connect to the driver. So I connect you to the hair professional. So there's gonna be a lot of haters. No, not everybody's gonna be your best friend in the end. People are going to see you move different when it comes to building a business. Even family. I have experience. Even when I first came up with this idea with my business, my, my mom, my sister were like, oh, who's going to use a service every week to get a haircut, hairstyled? You know, no one's going to use that. They thought that. But in my self-conscious told me, forget it. Keep going. Just build it regardless of what they say. And guess what? I'm I already have an office. So I already have an office. Right now, I'm in the plans of trying to find ways to get grants, investors, you know. So because the only thing that can really get this up is not only marketing, but app development. Because everybody loves apps. Everybody loves apps. They like to make it make things easy. So yeah, there's always the process of oh. An app blueprint needs to be made too if you're trying to make an app. But regardless of everything else, when it comes to building a business, it is not easy. It is a marathon. I remember that. That is powerful. Remember, folks, building a business is not easy. It is a marathon. Quotes from Ivan Huggin. So, Ivan, as we all know, everyone has an influence or someone who inspired them, someone who made them choose the path they're on right now. 
uh, in your experience, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Maybe a professor or a famous uh, business mogul. Like, who was it for you, Ivan? So there's two. One is Elon Musk. Oh, wow. Number two is a man who is really old, older than Elon Musk, but he's been in the game having old money for generations. This man's name is Dan Pena. Dan Pena. You can find him on YouTube, but I first saw him on YouTube as I was building a business, and he was my motivator. I listened to his talks, and then this man is not, he's not soft. He's alpha. What that means is that he don't play for bullshit. You know, his motto is just fucking do it. And that's then that's that's what it is just fucking do it. Like that's his motto. If you have a have an idea, just fucking do it. Don't sit around, pull your fingers, and expect it to grow by itself. No, just fucking do it. But Elon Musk, on the other hand, this man runs like five, almost soon to be Twitter, six different companies, and not only that, two. He started the idea in college. And was, this is the same guy who didn't even go to Ivy League school. He was about to stay for university, but he he dropped out. He decided, like, you know what? I'll start doing Tesla. I'll start trying to make a space company. But first he ever did was PayPal. First was PayPal. He needed the funds to make PayPal to then make not only SpaceX, but Tesla. And the boring so, company. Yeah, and the boring company came later. SpaceX and Tesla were the two main ones that he wanted to make. But the thing, the thing is, he was about to be bankrupt. He had to be had to play had to play gamble with both of them. Either he drops one of them and focus on the other, or it doesn't work on either of them at all. But he found a way around it so that he can finance both companies at the same time. And so far as what Tesla is and SpaceX, and he, Elon Musk even proved wrong, people wrong twice. One, for, space from, for Tesla to have a, a fully working electric vehicle, and two, for SpaceX, reusable rockets, and it's cheap, then for NASA, all, each rocket only costs around like five million, where NASA's rockets cost like twenty million. Wow! And he reuses them. He's saving money, like millions to billions of dollars each year, just having to send them rockets. And but things though, the SpaceX it costed more than Tesla. You know why? Because each rocket in the beginning was exploding. Really? Yes. He was trying to find a way to make it not explode at the same time, have these rockets land so it can be used. He's the first person himself to fully reuse rockets instead of having the rockets go up in space and then the rock the rocket ship lands like at some random area and then the space pilots come back in a drop pod. No. The rocket you flew up in space, you're gonna fly that rocket back to Earth and you can reuse it again. That's what he did. And he fully did it. How about that? And not only that, another company, Neuralink, it's a chip company where it helps all the people who 
are disabled to be able to connect their mind with their body so that they can move their body with their mind. That, that, that sounds revolutionary right there. Oh, yeah. And there's also Solar Company. They have Solar City. He owns that as well. And on top of that, Boring Company, that's just a company where he's like, you know, I was making a boring company because I'm tired of these tunnels in California because of this traffic. He wanted, he, he, he was tired of this traffic in California. California's traffic is terrible. Oh, you're telling me. And then he started, he wanted to create tunnels, a tunnel system where people can just move, navigate through the city, through the areas where the people want to go so that they don't have to worry about traffic. And he also, he also made flamethrowers. And he was pretty badass. But overall, this man, this man works. He said he works almost every day, barely has any sleep, and people say he said he's lucky. It is not luck. This man had to create his own luck. Yeah, and and he's got anything is he's also raising like what five or six kids. So like on, on a seventh too. Uh seventh too. Like you think like this man just You'd think he was like a robot or something with just all the hours he spends working, like just never really stops. He takes like micro naps. And guess what? This man used to used to have houses. He sold all his houses. You know what he's doing right now? Couch he's surfing. Hopping. He's couch hopping with his friend's house so that he can go to business meetings, all that. Oh, most of the times he sleeps in his own office in Tesla factories. Do you know why? Because his dedication is that serious. Is dedic- he's that dedicated because he's willing to sacrifice in even his houses. He's betting his own houses on SpaceX, Tesla, and all his other businesses. And experts have said that she's projected to reach a, be a trillionaire in our lifetime. It's possible. Because the way uh, how many companies he owns, it's both well, partially owns is crazy, but at the end of the day, it's that it's persistence. And there's a famous video I saw on YouTube where he was being interviewed when he was when he finally got one of the rockets to land for the first time. And the, this um, interviewer asked Elon, "When you first thought about this, when you first had all these rockets being destroyed." Do you ever thought to say, I'm going to pack it in? And guess what he said? Never. And the interviewer was like, why? Because I'm never going to give up. And guess what? He never gives up. And right now, this man's on his way to buy even Twitter. To fix Twitter. So, yeah. And I thought to myself, if this man is trying to change the world, trying to serve humanity, serve billions, and why am I selling it for less? Like, granted, yeah, it's great to be financially free of debt and all that, but I want to see, I want people to create a long lasting legacy so that people can remember the accomplishments I've done so that next future generations can learn from those accomplishments and be able to achieve similar, similar accomplishments that I have. And that's ex- so future generations are going to learn from Elon Musk too. And this man woke up every day, grinded every day to work on multiple businesses. So, you know, it's no excuse for me. Like, this business is my first ever. And don't worry. 
I already have five others be already came already planned out and prepared. First is this this has to be fully implemented first into the mainstream, then everything else comes. Yeah, and this is this is exactly why I was happy to have you on to the show, because he is a man who seeks to inspire my aspiring. But please, when you get those businesses, do try to find a way to get some sleep because I do not want to see you just all burnt out, just forcing yourself down up and down the stairs to your office. That burnout is real, man. But um, moving on. So I want to talk to you a little bit about perfectionism because billionaire and real estate mogul Grant Cardone called perfection a symptom of procrastination. Uh, in your in your idea of of the business you're building, do you uh, fight with perfectionism, or do you understand some things have their flaws, or do you still try to like you still try to you know be reach it to perfection? What's your what's your what's your um, relationship with perfectionism? I've learned that there is no such thing as a perfect world because there's no such thing as a perfect human being. So therefore, there is no such thing as a perfect business. There are flaws to everything. Even Amazon has a flaw with even said their multiple businesses be on there and having be able to cater to literally millions of people. And guess what? One day they had shut down of their you know, selling and transporting their shipments of boxes that people order, um, like just like this. Amazon Alexa, their Alexa has glitches all the day. That's why Amazon Alexa has updates. Even the website has updates. If there was a perfect business, then there wouldn't be any updates. There wouldn't be any software updates. There wouldn't be any any updates to begin with. Amazon originally was just buying books online to becoming just buy anything online. And how many times did um, how many times did Jeff Bezos have to go multiple routes to make sure this business is successful? Multiple. There's an old photo of him in his old office with Amazon.com on the side has his old hair grayed out and he's just working on it. He's working on it. And it's the thought of it is when I look at the photo, it's like, wow, like how many, just imagine how many nights, how many, how much money to spend for rent for the office or how many, how much money to spend to handle shipments and stuff like that. How many times you have to write down what can be fixed with this website stuff like that. There are a lot of what is like even my website that I have right now. That's not my first website. I have I my first website I created for the business was literally hand, handmade by me. And hey, it was cool, but there's always something better, something easier for everybody to look at and say, hey, this is cool. You know, people always there the masses are critics. There are like art critics, like movie critics. You're always gonna have critics. You can take, you can take the advice and take each and every advice and put it together to form something new, or 
take people's advice and not do anything and cry in a quarter because everybody doesn't like your business idea. Hmm. <laughs> in that regard, is foolishness. So if you want to succeed and Grand Condone is right, don't expect professionalism. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're not perfect, perfect human beings. So don't expect our your business to be perfect at all. Even if you get millions, even if I get millions of users, there's still gonna be flaws. Facebook, when it first had its million users, there was flaws. There was we didn't have the fact checkers, the the uh, additional third party to help them track all the hate speech and all that. No, it was a wonderland of people just typing, texting to their friends, family, whatever, and neither realized like things people be saying and what can have repercussions. So Facebook had to adapt. Facebook had to adapt to these ever-changing ways of people do speak online. So that's how Facebook is today. That's how Twitter is today. Twitter was not always Twitter. I remember when Twitter first came first came out, Twitter was just a simple blogging website that people just blog about the life. All of a sudden you see news headlines. You see people with blue check marks, famous people. And it's like, wow, it went from this bay by this tweeting to probably people who have uh, blue check marks to news to even just talking about just talking about like money and stuff like that. There's a lot that goes into it. Hell, even connecting your own website to your own Twitter account. Like that wasn't her before to boost your credibility. No, there is a lot of transitional things in life that can apply to a human being. I can same apply to your business. So my business is ever so changing right now. So be, I say embrace the change because in the day you won't realize until that one thing worked, that change they made for your business worked and realize, oh, wow, I'm getting all these people using my service or buying my product because I made that change. <laughs> All right, I, that's I will. I'm 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 gonna remember that. Embrace the change here, ladies and gentlemen. Never pay attention to perfectionism. So, Ivan, last question: Where do you see? Where do you want Cutting It to be in about five years? I want Cutting It to be international. That's big. Uh, yes, I want it to be international. At least one country. If I can just get one country to be, it's either be Paris, Dubai. If it's spread to another country, I already made it to international. It's an amazing goal right there. So a lot of people. I know I'm sure a lot of people focus on like sticking like national first, but you're willing to take it like all the way to the next level. Mm-hmm. I imagine those words still like resonated with you, with you when you were talking with the um, investors and people from the Shark Tank, just saying like how this could go like international right here. 
That dream. It's an amazing experience. So to list a few more of your accomplishments, you were indeed president of the Economics Club at SUNY Purchase, huh? What was, uh, for people who don't know, because, you know, we're both from Purchase College, what is, what has the Econ Club been to you, really? Well, when I first went to Econ Club, I thought, oh man, this can, this can talk about stocks, crypto, or anything that involves in the, oh, even business, economics, you know. And when I first got there, it was sophomore year, I first got in there. And when I first got in there, I was kind of put, pushed back because it wasn't like that with the previous presidents. And I thought, why are we talk, having like talks about, yeah, we have talks about how to get a job, you know, with LinkedIn, how you use, use LinkedIn, but we don't talk about how to create wealth, how to use stocks. We was talking about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, or, you know, crypto, or how to balance your personal, you know, net worth, your balance sheet, you know, and it was none of that. So right as when I became president of the economics club, I started to implement those things because those things need to be said, especially with the COVID pandemic, people need to understand, okay, what can I use my skills for? How can I make money? You know, there's, there's ways to adapt. There needs to be a nuance of how to adapt. So I put it myself to make it known to all the club members that need to make teach everybody, any student, as much as we can, how to survive, say, recession, depression, how to make the, make side hustles work for them and be able to be financially literate because there's a lot of financially, people who are financially illiterate. They are. That's why, that's why I listen to podcasts like Earn Your Leisure and things like that because they, they're just, you always need to know how to handle your money. Like, just 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 even just budgeting alone can get you really far because i wasn't i wasn't really conscious of my spending until i started budgeting and now i just hesitate when i see something i want because i'm just looking at the price i'm like if i need yeah. it's amazing how that works ivan uh before we finish uh what are some assets you look into speaking of financial literacy besides you know cutting it what are some assets you invest your time and money into? Uh, well, I invest into crypto. I invest in the stocks. And also I'm looking into real estate or Airbnb because there are passive incomes that literally are, well, I would say that can make you never be broke again. Never be broke again. Use your money wisely, folks. Assets over liabilities. That's one of the trademark um slogans from earn your leisure we always got to focus on that all right ivan thanks so much for answering my questions thank you so much for being guests on what's soon to be the greatest podcast ever the upcoming eat that joe rogan and we are done so ladies and gentlemen just just clap it up for mr ivan hogan right here this man is this man is amazing and I can't wait to see you on 
the front cover of Forbes magazine. All right. All right. That's it for the upcoming. Thank you, folks. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, please sure to follow us on Spotify for more amazing content. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody.